Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, October 1st. Holy hell, 2018. No. It is, that's what the calendar says, I promise. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. My calendar says September 31st. Yes, but you got to remember, most people are going to listen to this on the 1st, the next day. So you got to flip it over. There's no 31st of September. Ah, there you go. I'm James Marino from Broadway Stars. <laughs> uh, James, you had quite an eventful weekend. You saw two new Broadway plays, one on Friday, one on Sunday. First on Friday, you saw Bernhard Hamlet. And then on Sunday, you saw The Nap. Real quick, because I'm sure you'll get into depth a little bit more with each on This Week on Broadway and Bernhard Hamlet, you probably already did. Uh, but real quick, a thumbnail review of each. Well, I talked about Bernhard Hamlet on This Week on Broadway on Sunday. Uh, my take on it is that I liked it better than most of the other reviewers. Uh, Janet McTeer is great and the cast is great, and I rather enjoyed it. Uh, I also saw The Nap on Sunday and after This Week on Broadway, so we'll talk about it next week. But um, I liked it better than the other reviewers. And uh, But I, I, one of the... F- most fun things is is that a, a handful of other uh, reviewers were in the audience. I have to ask them the uh, at the top of the show. The uh, the ushers came in and dragged somebody out of the theater because they wouldn't turn their phone off. So I oh. thought that was awesome. That was oh. really exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially when you consider Richard Bean's uh, previous Broadway show, One Man, Two Governors, where yeah. they have fake audience plants and stuff. Like, I would have been suspicious oh. at the beginning. I'm sure that it doesn't sound like that was the case here. No. But because they had, like, legitimate audience volunteers and then a plant in One Man, Two Governors, spoiler alert, sorry about that, um, I would have immediately thought something was going on if it was happening right before Curtain. Um, but that's just me being cynical. But um, anyway, you mentioned this week on Broadway – you guys did actually talk about uh, the Knapp and Bernhardt Hamlet as well as a number of other things. But I also want to mention on Saturday, um, Jan Simpson spoke with Shar White, the playwright behind The True, which is currently starring or which is currently playing at the new group starring Edie Falco, uh, Michael McKeon and uh, that guy. I couldn't remember last time we talked about it, Peter Scolari. Um, so good stuff in the podcast feed from over the weekend. If you guys need something to listen to and James, the most important thing, banana cream. That's my that's my favorite pie. I shall wear black for a year. I, I think you should wear scarlet and gray instead of black. But Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> Most of the people are not going to understand what the hell we're talking about. So uh, we'll just say that. Um, so do you, do you ever want – I'm sure you do, but I'll talk about it in general just for a minute uh, so that our listeners can get up to speed. On the, uh, ESPN, which is a sports-related uh, channel, has a very nice website. Do you know where I'm going at this? You know, No, but I just, uh, the fact that you needed to explain what ESPN is is funny to me. <laughs> it used to be that ESPN stood for Entertainment Sports Programming Network, but it they did away with that, and it's just ESPN now. And it's mostly – it's it's sports now. So their website, um, you can watch a game as it progresses, and there is a probability of winning chart on the left-hand yes. side during the game. And for most of the game, it had Penn State on a higher and higher probability of winning. And I felt like November of 2016, as Hillary watched it slip away. That's sad. And, uh, yeah, Penn Penn State was up 12 with eight minutes remaining, had a 98% win probability. Yes, exactly. And yet Just Ohio like State. Yeah, Ohio State won. Yeah, and Ohio once again went for Trump. 
Uh, no, that's not funny. Not <laughs> I'm, I'm no longer amused. Now it's banana cream and apple. <laughs> All right. Let's get on to the news of the day. Uh, first up in the news, we talked about this as well on uh, This Week on Broadway. Tony winning book writer Joe Mastroff passes away. Yeah, I, I won't spend too much time on it because I know you guys discussed it on Sunday. But on Friday, it was announced that the legendary librettist of classics She Loves Me and Cabaret, Joe Masteroff, passed away at the age of 98. Masteroff won the Tony Award for Best Book of a Musical in 1967 for Cabaret, having also been nominated previously in 64 for She Loves Me. And while he made his Broadway writing debut in 1959 with the play The Warm Peninsula, he started his, perform- his career as a performer in the 1953 play the Prescott proposals. Uh, Julie Harris toured nationally with the Warm Peninsula a year before um, the, the show came to Broadway, and that is actually what uh, interested uh, producer Hal Prince about bringing him on to work with She Loves Me. As a World War II veteran, he qualified for free classes at the American Theater Wings Professional School, where he studied playwriting. So another great feather in the cap of that fine organization. Joe also adapted the book for 70 Girls 70, another uh, uh, um Another musical by uh, Fred Ebb, uh, Candor and Ebb. Um, it was originally written by Fred Ebb and Norman L. Martin before Joe adapted it for them. In addition to his three Broadway musicals that I mentioned, he also wrote two shows with composer Howard Marin, Georgia Avenue and Paramore. Not that one, James, the other one. And three with composer Edward Thomas, Desire Under the Elms, Six Wives and Anna Christie. Godspeed, Mr. Masteroff, James, like you said, um, you guys discussed this on Sunday's show. I assume that Peter and Michael both had uh, a lot of wonderful memories of uh, Joe's work, and I'm sure they both probably knew him at least to some extent. Yeah, Peter and Michael did uh, talk about their remembrances and stories. Uh, Peter had, of course, Peter had a great story. Uh, So get to This Week on Broadway and take a listen to it. I basically reviewed his IBDB as you just went through right here. So no sense in rehashing that. I had never had the honor of meeting him. Yeah. Unfortunately, James, we have other sad news as on Friday, we also learned of the passing of Tony winning actor Roger Robinson. The mostly West Coast based actor was twice nominated for the Best Featured Actor in a Play Award first for August Wilson's Seven Guitars in 1996, then in 2009 for Wilson's Joe Joe Turner's Come and Gone, for which Robinson won. In addition, he appeared on Broadway in Does a Tiger Wear a Necktie, The Miser, Amen Corner, the 1985 revival of The Iceman cometh and drowning crow like Masteroff, robinson was a veteran serving with the third naval district band in brooklyn in addition to his broadway work he appeared in dozens of off-broadway shows and even more films and tv episodes our thoughts are obviously with everyone who loved both roger and joe as either people or artists okay next up in the news uh Late Friday night, Kinky Boots announced a late spring closing on Broadway. Oh, yeah. This was a weird one, James, because I think the the uh, this got out of the bag a little sooner than they might have been anticipating. Because on Friday night, uh, you know, I texted you a screenshot from a tweet from the Kinky Boots verified account that said, quote, don't miss the joy of Kinky Boots on Broadway through April 7th only. 
Now, James, I had to send you a screenshot because uh, that post was deleted within about seven minutes of it being posted. I'm assuming when the agency realized that it had gone <laughs> live rather than being scheduled for a later date or time because there had been no official announcement made yet. So because the cat was officially out of the bag, the show's producers went ahead and made a hasty announcement on Friday night confirming that the former Best Musical winner would close in April when it would officially be the 25th longest running production in Broadway history, having played 2,507 performances and 34 previews. James, no word on who they might get to close out the show, but I would expect that Daryl Roth will do something fairly splashy with the closing cast as she's been able to get some interesting folks in there throughout the five or six years. Speaking of Tangentially here, uh, current Charlie Price, Mark Ballas, has extended his run and will now stick with the show through November 18th. Anyway, back to the closing. Um, we don't know who's going to close the show in the cast, but we do have a fairly general consensus that Moulin Rouge will take over the Al Hirschfeld Theater sometime in the summer of 2019. Obviously, uh, it's that's not going to be in time for the end of this season because Kinky Boots is closing with just about two and a half weeks before what should be the Tony eligibility cutoff. I feel like that's a date james where they might have enough room to extend um if if the sales for that closing go really well but that's just conjecture on my part uh but go back to moulin rouge based off what we saw in boston james it's very likely that it's going to take some time to get moulin rouge completely loaded into the Hirschfeld. might be doing some sort of renovations to make it fit into the fully immersive ambiance of that show so this makes sense to me for a late June, maybe even into July or August opening for Moulin Rouge on Broadway. Peter pointed out on This Week on Broadway that um, that Moulin Rouge Boston, they did quite an, uh, a lot of construction. Was it in the Emerson up in Boston, I think? Yes, yeah, uh, in the Emerson. Mm-hmm. You know, Peter said you weren't really sure where the Emerson ended and Moulin Rouge began in in the building that they did around there. So that might be a reason that they're so far ahead of the curve there. And uh, Michael Portantier also mentioned that he had heard a rumor that uh, it took quite a few months to do the construction in up in Boston and that they figured the same thing was going to happen there. Uh, Peter pointed out that uh, the closing date is exactly the six-year mark, and maybe that was mm. done just for uh, prosperity's sake. But I think that that's a strange time to close April 7th, that they should you know, extend into the May or June area because it's going to be hot ticket sales on Broadway, and it'd be strange to have such a prominent musical house uh, dark during April and May and you know June. Yeah. Um, Kinky Boots officially had its first preview on Broadway on March 3rd in 2013, and its opening was April 4th of 2013. So that's, you know, the 7th is going to be the first Sunday after uh, its six year anniversary. So that uh, makes sense on what Peter was saying. Um, But but yeah, I mean, we've talked about the fact that the producers behind Moulin Rouge are the same producers behind uh, King Kong. And I think a lot of people assume that the reason they don't want them both to open this season is because they don't want them competing for awards. To me, that's that's not what I assume. The reason is they don't want them to open the same season. It's the fact that they're both huge, gigantic shows that are new musicals to Broadway. um, So they probably need time to build them and their big extravaganzas. So I don't think they're worried about awards competition. I think they're worried about just making sure they are able to dedicate their time and focus to this. So yes, the Hirschfeld being vacant during the summer 
Um, not ideal, but I, I have a feeling Jujamson is pretty confident that Moulin Rouge will do quite well in the Hirschfeld uh, moving forward. So they're willing to sacrifice a couple months of summer ticket sales for years, maybe a decade of, of sales from Moulin Rouge. The one thing that interests me, though, James, is that if you remember, they had a huge marquee display. I think there was was there a windmill outside the Emerson like that's that's not how. You know, the Hirschfeld's on a is on a residential street, you know, m- yeah. mostly. So it's not like there's a huge amount of space. It's not like it's going into the winter garden that has that huge marquee that uh, Beetlejuice is going to take advantage of. So I, I'm interested to see if they're going to, like you mentioned, Peter talked about kind of expand or Michael, maybe expand the experience out to the front door or not. Um, but I, that that surprised me a little bit. I thought they would have gone somewhere with a little bit more, you know, curb appeal. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. But, you know, we see that Harry Potter has done their big, uh, they moved it from 42nd to 43rd Street. And that's not a very well traversed street as far as foot traffic goes. But the Harry mm-hmm. Potter uh, thing up in the sky is really impressive. And maybe they'll do something much higher so that you can see it from blocks away. But that is sort of a residential street. Mm. And maybe not the most ideal situation yeah. for them but hey it's a beautiful house and it's a musical house and so and peter yep. also talked about the possibility in in boston they had a passerelle uh so uh you know maybe mm-hmm. they can optimize that for that theater as well or steal it from hello dolly you know it, you know interesting interestingly interestingly enough what's interesting because we talked about the fact that the hello dolly tour we are way off script here mm-hmm. but the hello dolly tour started um, its preview run in utica last week and they have a passerelle but it's a fake one um they oh. set it up so that i don't remember did we talk about this um no. the orca the orchestra is actually in front of the passerelle, and I'm I don't know if that's something that can be modified depending on the logistics of the individual touring houses, um, of the presenting houses. But it looks like from from press and fan photos is that the orchestra is actually in front of the passerelle rather than in the middle of it. So anyway, mm, that's interesting. All right, let's get on to this week's theatrical schedule. Okay, we are getting into the fall, so there is a ton of stuff. So I'm not going to give the normal in-depth about each would be here forever if I did. But in the show notes, I will have a link to every show if you want more information. Starting tonight over at the public theater, the, uh, the I guess it's a play with music is probably how they're ca- categorizing it. Girl from the North Country officially opens off Broadway. Very excited to be seeing that one uh, later this fall. Uh, speaking of Beetlejuice, it will begin previews in Washington, D.C. at the National Theater uh, tonight as well as will the off-Broadway show uh, Gloria, A Life at the Daryl Roth Theater. So lots of stuff happening tonight. Tomorrow night, The Ferryman officially begins previews on Broadway, one of the shows that is very highly anticipated for this Broadway season. Also starting previews are three off-Broadway shows, India Pale Ale at the Manhattan Theater Club, Ordinary Days at the Keene Company, and Midnight at the Never Get from the York Theater Company as well. Then on Friday, we mentioned King Kong. They will be beginning their Broadway previews at the Broadway Theater Another one that I'm super interested to see how this works out because we've seen and we've talked about all of these videos of the gorilla itself, but no one really knows what the score is like because it's gone through such a an, an evolution since its time in Australia. Very interested to hear about those first preview reports. The next night, 
on Saturday, October 6th, American Sun will have its first previews on Broadway. And then on Sunday, we have the official opening of Oklahoma, not off-Broadway, but in Brooklyn at St. Anne's Warehouse. We also have two shows closing, the off-Broadway play, The Collective Rage, a play in Five Bettys from NCC, and Pamela's first musical, at Two River Theater in New Jersey. Again, I'll have links to all of these shows so you can get their full information in the show notes at broadwayradio.com. Uh, Robbie went to go see Oklahoma at St. Anne's Warehouse and uh, gave it four thumbs up. Very nice. I'm very oh, so excited. I love Oklahoma. Yeah. All right, Matt, what else do we have to talk about today? All right, just a few more things to get you uh, out and starting on your Monday. First up on Friday, it was reported that Tony winner Justin Peck will provide the choreography for Steven Spielberg's upcoming movie remake of West Side Story. Still no casting or filming schedule announced, but I would imagine that that stuff will be coming fairly soon if they're rounding out their creative team. Next up, Tony nominee Gavin Lee will play the title role in How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the musical at the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden. Didn't realize they'd branded the name of that theater from December 13th through the 30th of this uh, this fall. Tickets are on sale now, and I can honestly not think of a person better suited to play that part. Uh, than Gavin Lee. No offense, Patrick Page. Um, next, uh, we will all we also learned that the New York Theater Workshop has extended Heidi Schreck's What the Constitution Means to Me for another week through October 28th. The show officially opened last night to very strong word of mouth. So if this is one that might interest you, get out to see it. And finally, James Venn diagram time here. The Fenway Sports Group, the parent company of the Boston Red Sox, announced on Friday that it is looking to build a performing arts center behind Fenway Park, where the Boston Red Sox play their home games. The 5,000-person theater would stand directly behind the right field bleachers on the triangular patch of property on the corner of Lansdowne and Ipswich, uh, Ipswich Streets. For baseball fans, that would mean it is behind Pesky Pole in right field, not the Green Monster in left. In a press relief, FCG said the venue would, quote, have a variety of uses and would potentially partner with local schools, colleges, and other neighborhood organizations to host events for the performing arts community. James, there's nothing more American than a doubleheader of baseball and musical theater, am I right? I just, again, reinforcing the fact that Boston is just jealous of New York. (laughs) Trying to do all the stuff. I mean, except for the baseball team's record this year. But anyway, if you would like more information on any of all of these stories, please check out the show notes at broaderradio.com. Hey, um, do you know the Dolan family and uh, Madison Square Garden? Yes. You know about them. Yeah, I don't know them personally, but I I know of them. Uh, And uh, they're... Uh, there's talk about the Dolans, uh, who are the family that um, owns Cablevision and the and the New York uh, Knicks and the Rangers. I couldn't think of the Knicks. I kept on thinking of the Nets. Uh, the Knicks and the Rangers, uh, b- basketball and hockey teams, respectively, and are looking to sell those teams. Do you oh. know if uh, – so you don't know anything about that? No, I hadn't heard that. I think yeah, that will make many, many – basketball fans in new york happy many hockey and basketball fans would be very happy to get the dolans out of their professional sports franchise but i'm interested if when those sports franchises go if they're going to uh spin off the real estate as well and what effect that'll have upon the hulu theater at madison square garden but i guess uh we'll wait for mark hirschberg to uh fill us in on those type of things 
And wasn't there wasn't there talk recently and like it, like in recent years that the city might be forcing them to move out of Madison Square Garden because of uh, construction and expansion of Penn Station? Uh, yeah, kind of, sort of. Um, but okay. uh, the lower levels, not the upper levels where the performances happen. The uh, Penn Station and then uh, you have retail, Madison Square Garden, and then you have the upstairs where the performances and the arenas are and things like that. Oh. Uh, I, I think that that's, uh, that's not – they're looking at the retail spaces to move out of for the construction. Across the street is the uh, – is the old Penn Station, which became a uh, post office, and that's going to become renovated into a huge new uh, public works area. So, gotcha. uh, yeah, it's uh, New York, never quite done, always under construction. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for starting off your week with us, and Matt and I will be back and talk with you tomorrow. Tomorrow.